President Ronald Reagan once said, freedom is the right to question and change the established way of doing things. Representative Mark Bourne continues to challenge the status quo, especially when it comes to addressing a transportation issue for law enforcement. The representative from Beaver Dam joins us today on The Right Angle. Welcome back to The Right Angle, the official podcast of the Wisconsin Assembly Republicans. Every week, we give you an inside look at the policies and politics that are driving conversations in the Capitol and across the state. Today, we're talking with Representative Bourne about how constituent input makes the most meaningful bills. I'm Assembly Speaker Robin Voss. Representative Mark Bourne is our guest this week. He was first elected to the Assembly in 2012 and is currently a member of the Joint Committee on Finance. Thanks for being on The Right Angle. Let's begin by talking about a bill that I know you're working on, AB 633, that will help law enforcement with the transportation of individuals for emergency detention. Governor Evers vetoed a possible solution, surprising to many of us, your bill, Mm -hmm. in a sense finds another way to help law enforcement. So why don't you take a minute, kind of tell us about why you have been able to learn about this from your local law enforcement, what we did that Governor Evers vetoed, and kind of what the next steps are. Yeah, this is something that's been a a major problem for local law enforcement and local human services for some time. It's a statute that really needs some major um, update. And the bill that we're working on is just one small area of that. Um, There's other members that are working on parts of it, too. We intend to work on other areas. Um, We tried to work on one area in the budget that the governor vetoed, as you mentioned, to try to regionalize the care more so that the transports aren't so far away from where folks are being picked up in their time of crisis, you know, mental health crisis. It's a serious thing. Um, these people So how would help. it have worked in the way that, the, that you had put it in the budget, just so people can understand the background on that? Yeah, in the, in the budget, we proposed uh, putting a, uh, working with a hospital system in northwest Wisconsin to create more beds for emergency detention, some more care closer to home mm-hmm. where folks that are in crisis would be taken then in custody by local law enforcement to get the care they need to get the mental health care and, and, and help get themselves uh, uh, you know, feeling better about things and, and, and back into society. And without having to come, um, in the case of Northwest Wisconsin, usually to Oshkosh, mm. um, which is a pretty good drive. Yeah. And so there were, there's a hospital system in the Eau Claire and, and Chippewa Falls area that has space capacity available. And um, we proposed some state funding to help convert those to um, mental health crisis beds. Unfortunately, the governor vetoed that. So um, still want to work on that. I think Mm -hmm. there's still folks that are working on that. But we looked at the bill that I'm proposing as something else that would help with um, trying to find more alternatives for law enforcement to do these transports. Because if you're in Chippewa Falls and you take someone into custody for for a crisis, and have to drive all the way to Oshkosh, that's tying up that Chippewa Falls officer for hours and hours Mm -hmm. driving across the state. So the bill would make it clear that uh, local or county law enforcement could contract with a private provider. Hmm. Might be a mental health, you know, medical provider, might be a transport company that does this kind of stuff now between Like an ambulance service or something? Yeah, it could be an ambulance service if they wanted to participate. Um, We're not defining um, specifically how it is. It's more of it's clear that municipalities can use this. They can choose what's right for them and what's available in their areas. But it doesn't mean tying up a police officer because a lot of, especially rural areas, don't have a lot of officers on. You might only have one in a small village or a couple in a whole county, especially in places like northwest Wisconsin where the original bill was trying to work. And uh, we don't want to see those officers tied up for a full shift 
um, on these transports across the state. So still continuing to work on the regionalizing of this, but in the meantime, let's create some more options for local governments to contract with any providers that they think make sense for them in their regions to do these transports, get people the help they need, where the hospitals are available now, and uh, just try to improve some of the efficiencies of this system to make it work better. Well, I know because of your background in law enforcement, this has been a passion for you for a long time, even before you were elected. I think there was an article this week in the newspaper that talked about the problems that Oshkosh is having with finding enough employees, overcrowding. Mm -hmm. So would this also help some of the problems that the state is having with your bill? Well, if we can, this bill specifically probably won't have as big an impact on that. The regionalization stuff is really what's going to fix that. Okay. And um, this is just trying to provide some short, more short-term options while those transports are so long for um, especially folks in rural Wisconsin. Um, but it's even an issue um, in uh, the Madison because there a lot of them are driving up to Oshkosh and stuff now too, and that's a decent haul yeah. to tie up an officer. And so um, I don't understand. Maybe maybe you have better understanding than I do. But knowing that this huge problem is at Oshkosh again that we saw in the paper this week, we've got somebody willing to do it in northwestern Wisconsin. Why in the world would Governor Evers veto this proposal? Do you have any idea? Yeah, I think that we've started to see a, a pattern with some of these vetoes where it's pretty hard to explain mm-hmm. where they're coming from. And, um, you know, a veto message hasn't really made it real clear to us, unfortunately. And uh, I don't know why. I mean, we can draw conclusions about some of the other things he's done where he's really focused on Madison and Milwaukee to the detriment of the rural areas and and the rest of the state. And this is probably another example of that, but that's really our speculation at this point. Well, maybe we can do something this session still to fix it, because I know you've got a lot of bills that have been inspired not just by your past career, but also by your constituents. So this session, I know you've had some bills that are also inspired by people in your district. Yep. Um, tell us about, I think one was with school safety. Do you want to talk about yeah. some of those other bills? Yeah, there was a, a school safety task force in Dodge County that gave me two bill ideas, actually. And um, I, I found in my time in the legislature that that's always where the best bills come mm-hmm. from. You get ideas from local folks, local businesses, whatever the case might be. And so I really enjoy working on those. And these were, um, in the big picture, maybe two minor things. But um, one was about uh, fire alarms, fire evacuations, fire drills, whatever you want to call them. Um, current law at the time, prior to this bill being signed into law a couple of weeks ago by Governor Evers now, um, was that you couldn't tell anyone about the drill. It had mm. to be a secret. It was supposed to be a surprise, so people just responded. And and we heard from schools that, uh, especially for special needs students, some of them reacted really poorly to the drill. They really got agitated, um, overly agitated. Yeah. They had a hard time calming them down. Sometimes it would ruin their whole day in their special needs classroom. And so some schools just started telling the special needs teachers, you know, prepare your students. We're going to do a drill. But by doing that, they were actually violating the law huh. and because it was supposed to be a secret. Yeah. And so we just said, let's fix it. You know, it's a simple tweak. We'll just say it's up to the school administrator to, ident- to notify whoever they feel appropriate. Mm-hmm. And it's a simple thing, a local control. They're still doing the drills. Um, you know, the fire chiefs, the fire inspectors were fine with it. In fact, I had an inspector stop by the office when we were proposing the bill, and the inspector says to me, well, this is fine. We just let them do it. And I'm like, well, that's kind of the point, sir. You're violating the law right. by letting them do it. We're just going to fix it so that you can just do it. And he was like, oh, good point, you know, because it's, <laughs> it's, it's small. And they're like, right. they were fighting a workaround, but to work around it, they were technically violating the law. Right. Why not make it right? So just fix it. Yeah. 
Uh, and the other one was about um, directory data, which was a kind of a complex thing for a lot of folks and apparently pretty complex for the governor um, when he decided to veto it. Um, but we worked through it in the committee processes, which is what you're supposed to do, mm -hmm. and really brought out all of the details so people could really understand what we were doing. And the directory data is something that the statute sets what's allowed to be released to the public by schools. It's a list of things like the child's name, the child's address, phone number, height and weight which is one which at first I thought was weird, but they actually, that's an important one for athletics because oh, they sure. put it yeah. in the football yeah. thing. You know, right. Wrestling that, or whatever. Yeah, that sort of thing. So, um, but one of the things that's not allowed is the parent's name. And I thought as a parent, that's weird. Why wouldn't my name be tied to my kid? Why wouldn't that be? If you're going to put my kid's name out there, why wouldn't you tie my name to mm -hmm. it? And so we had a request from the same committee because there was an incident where a, a parent, a single parent, attempted suicide, was in the hospital. And the detective in human services went to the school, wanted to contact the child to not just go home on the bus and let him know about the tragedy and, and help them out. And the school said when they went to the office and wanted to verify that this was the parent of this kid so they didn't tell the wrong kid, the school said, well, technically we can't tell you if that's the parent of this child because okay. we're not allowed to release the parent's name. Yeah. And there's and, probably a workaround, like you said, but why yeah. not make it right? Well, and, you know, they could have went and tried to get a warrant or something right. for it, but what's, I mean, they're just trying to help out this kid and this is a simple thing. So we said, let's just include the parent's name and directory data. Some folks said, well, is that a privacy concern? Well, no, because current law for directory data is this is the list of what's allowed, but school boards can decide if they want to include those things or not. And more importantly, every year when you register your kids for school, parents can opt out to not have themselves and their kids included in directory data. Okay. So the current law safeguards are still there from local control and the parents opting out. So all we're saying is just add parents' names to the list for something that can be considered by school boards and parents to decide if they want it to be included. So the bill passed both chambers. Yep, did without opposition. With, oh, it didn't pass Voice it just votes. Republicans. It was Voice votes. unanimous. Okay. Yeah, no one registered against it huh. um, so as then, far as a vote. Did it become law? No, Governor Evers vetoed it. Oh. And we don't for sure know why. It's one of those things, again, where it's a little bit of a mystery for a couple of reasons. One, he issued a veto message that was only six lines. And the veto message said that he was opposed to mandating this on schools, which should make you say, what? Because I just explained yeah. to you <laughs> right. that the school boards can opt out of it and local people could opt out of it. So how could it possibly be a mandate? Right. And so I questioned whether or not he understood the bill when he vetoed it. And uh, PolitiFact was wondering the same thing. So they looked into it and recently issued that um, his veto message was false. <laughs> that, that was not what the bill did. And then if that wasn't odd enough for this little bill, um, the administration then realizing that they made a mistake, I guess, and not understanding the bill and their veto message, um, issued a correction to the veto message, uh, an errata to the veto message, changing a couple of words, something that then when I talked to the Legislative Reference Bureau said they couldn't see anywhere in the last 20 years that that had ever been done before. <laughs> okay. So on this little bill, they got so vetoed for reasons we're not maybe really he made sure. a mistake. Yeah. He had to figure a way to show that he knew what he was doing, even though he didn't put it correctly in his own words. Yeah. Okay. And so we still don't really know exactly why he vetoed the bill, um, but he did. So, you know, it was just something... Uh, the sun doesn't rise and set in these things, but local folks thought this would be helpful to them, so right. we brought it forward and... 
it worked its way through the process, and both houses of the legislature thought it was a, a reasonable thing, but unfortunately the governor did not. Well, you know, it's it's interesting because a lot of the good ideas do come from people, not Republicans, not Democrats, just constituents who have a really good idea. Uh, and I know you had another one. I mean, it's amazing how many constituents talk to you. And that's one of the mm-hmm. things that I think many people who listen to this podcast and citizens in general don't realize that our job is to be a conduit. Yep. Come up with a good idea. If I agree with it, I'll be happy to work on it and try to make it law. Um, I think you had another one um, dealing with uh, something with transferring credits, right? Yeah, this was another one. A constituent, uh, a dad called um, because he and his daughter were upset. Um, She did what she thought was the right thing and stayed at home and worked and went to the local technical college and got an associate's degree. And um, then, you know, staying at home and working and saving up that money, going to the tech college, she had some money saved up and wanted to go now to the University of Wisconsin system and, uh, you know, finish off that bachelor's degree. And when she went to transfer the credits from an associate degree, very few, about 20, 25% of them actually transferred. And she was really frustrated. She was going to give up on, on moving, you know, working on her bachelor's oh degree because she's like, I did all this. I invested my time and effort and worked jobs while yeah. I was going, and, and this is not working the way I thought it was supposed to. So he called and said, why is this? And so I said, that's a good question because we kept hearing from the system that they're getting better at transferring between the technical colleges. And I know private schools are doing a better job of it. So why isn't the UW system doing a better job? So my office calls the system and says, what's the deal? And they look into it and suddenly they can get a whole bunch more of her credits to transfer, Hmm. which was good for that constituent. Yeah, but not for the system. No, but now I'm thinking, well, you shouldn't have to call your state rep to get your credits to transfer. Right. So let's do something to fix this. So Senator Strobel and I got together, worked on a bill, and um, the number of uh, credits that are going to have to transfer now, we've increased it from 30 to 75. Hmm. And um, we set it up so they've got some time, about two years, for the technical college system and the UW system to get together and figure out what those general credits are that will transfer to meet that goal. But we're forcing them to get together to work to do a better job because they said they were doing it, but then my constituent found out that no, that's not really the case. Hmm. So let's put some real numbers in place and make them do it. And, you know, we wanted to, it wasn't our job to sit down and figure out what classes should transfer. We want to respect the work that the professors and the systems do. But now they've got a number they got to reach. They got to sit down and figure it out. Because um, if you're taking different, you know, basic English classes, reading classes and things, those should be general ed English transfers, and they got to figure out how that works. The same with math. There's yeah. a lot of stuff. There's a lot of opportunity here. Um, maybe we didn't go far enough, but we certainly more than doubled it. So we're going to push them, and then we're going to monitor it and see you know how it goes from here. Well, that's a nice success story, and and I think like so many of us, when you run for office, that's probably not something you thought about uh, that was going to be on your campaign literature, but it yeah. certainly is something that is going to make a difference to that family. That's pretty. That's pretty fantastic when you think about it. Yeah. Now I know that you and I have some things in common. Um, so, if you remind me, when you started to get involved in politics, because it's my understanding that you know some people joined because they were asked. Other people mm-hmm. joined because um, you know they retired and wanted to do something as a second career. How come you got involved in this political world? Yeah, and I'm starting to remember like really like where my interest first came from as a kid. You know, I remember and uh, a lot of folks in our age range. President Reagan certainly had an impact. And I remember in 1984, when I was eight years old in school, voting in the weekly reader for president for for Reagan versus Mondale. So were you like Michael P. Keaton? And I don't know if I'd go that far. But but I remember that. And my parents were certainly, um, you know, regular voters and talked about it at home. 
and so I, I just became interested in it. And, and then in high school, I knew like this is something I want to do more, learn more about. So um, when I was 16, sophomore year, I volunteered uh, to work a little bit on the campaign of uh, State Representative Bob Getch, oh, okay. who held yeah. this, this seat before me. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, uh, several years before me, there were you know, one person in between. But um, and so I, I did doors a couple weekends with him and some staffers, and you know, put up signs and just kind of started out that way. Caught the political bug. And yeah, and then I was thinking about it um, actually last night. I uh, ran into Bob Getch. We're in the Elks Lodge together oh. in Beaver Dam, and. Um, you know, he's well into his 80s now, but still making it to the Elks meetings. He had and, a farm. Does he still farm? Um, he has. The, he's on living on the farm yet, but he's uh, several years ago now he started leasing out the land okay. to the neighbor. So he's yeah. not farming anymore, but he still lives out there. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were talking about it and working on, you know, me working on that campaign and, and stuff. And uh, I realized that I've either volunteered or been a candidate every election cycle since then. <laughs> wow. Since that was 1992. So it is interesting how... Um, a passion, which is where a lot of us start, just an interest, turns into a career. Mm-hmm. So knowing that you worked on that campaign, when did you decide to actually run for office? I mean, did you run for local office first? Yeah, I ran for city council. And um, I guess, I don't, again, I don't really remember like what in particular, like one thing, but it was just, I liked the politics and uh, local government and the community. The community is important to me. And my family's been around there a while, and my parents. Were there local people who inspired you, or anything? Oh, there were definitely local folks that inspired me along the way. And I mean, working on those campaigns, you meet so many people. Mm-hmm. And um, there was the second campaign I worked on was in uh, the spring of '94. It was a mayor's race in and, Beaver Dam. In Beaver Dam, yep. And um, the the guy that was running for mayor then uh, was a newer, younger person, and he wanted some high school kids involved in his mm-hmm. campaign committee. So I reached out to the civics teacher, and my teacher knew that I was really interested. And so I joined the campaign committee, and I met two local guys there that were longtime local political figures. Um, John Ullman and Pete Wester were their names. Uh, John was a former mayor, retired police officer, uh, county coroner for 28 years, and Pete was the retired fire chief hmm. at that time. And I went to that first committee meeting of Sabaki for mayor, and I met those two guys, and they didn't know me, and I didn't know them. And they were like, kid, you want to go put up some signs with us on Saturday? <laughs> and I was like, sure, yeah. you know, why not? Well, it's not easy to find willing no. volunteers, so that's, you're probably a so, good start. So, yeah, John picks me up, and I'm 17 years old. This is a month before my 18th birthday. No. Okay. <laughs> you, had to ju- you had to jump out the I'm ditches, in the, right? I'm in the back okay. seat, <laughs> and we're putting up signs in the city. This is a city okay. of Dam race. And I didn't know how this was going to work because before I had just gone out and did some doors with Bob Getch, and I really hadn't done all this sign work. And so I'm thinking they're going to have a list and we're going to go put up signs, right? And like, no, there's no list. They just knew everyone. Hmm. And so we just drove around and went to doors and knocked on doors. And like the second place we go, John Ullman says to me, this is so-and-so's place. I don't even remember the name of the lady because I think I blacked out for a minute because he says to me, just go up to the door, tell them you were with Pete Wester and John Ullman and you want to put up a sign for Sabaki for mayor. <laughs> and I thought, are you kidding me? I don't know anything. I mean, what? This isn't going to work. Yeah. I don't even know what to say. I've never So I'm like, well, I'll just do what he said. I walk up there, I knock on the door, and I'm like, you know, hi, I'm Mark. I'm a volunteer with Sabaki for mayor, and I'm with John Ullman and Pete Wester, and we were wondering if we could put a sign in your yard. And this older lady with her hair curlers in and her robe on. It's like 9 in the morning on a Saturday standing there looking at me and she goes, did you say you're with Pete Wester and John Ullman? Yes, ma'am. They in the car? Yes. And she waves at him. Hey, boys. 
she says, yeah, go ahead and put up your sign. <laughs> and I was like, wow, this is something. And we drove around that morning, and no one ever told them no. <laughs> and I figured out. Did you have out, to use a drill bit, or were you able to push them in the frozen We were ground? able to push them in okay. in that March. It was mild. Yeah. yeah. But I figured out from the, just spending that morning with those two that this is what local politics is all about. Mm-hmm. Not only did they know where to go to get the signs, but it was easy for them to do because they'd spent 30, 40 years mm-hmm. building relationships with these people. It was all about the trust that they had built by being straight shooters and yeah. great public servants. And so ever since then, volunteering on these campaigns, I've built those same type of relationships. Does the lady with the curlers that you put a sign up in her yard? She's not around anymore. Okay, that's but, too bad. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Would have been a good yard but, side yeah, location, I'm yes. sure. <laughs> but it was just, uh, that's always stuck with me. And just how we, I've, from when I was, whether it be volunteering for their campaigns mm-hmm. or as the Dodge County Party chairman for six years or city council or now in this job, it's just, it's about having the trust of the folks that are there right. and building those relationships. So knowing the contact you have with constituents, have you had any young constituents like you were intern in your office or volunteer for your own campaign, kind of paying it forward? We've had a couple, but they're few and far between. Mm-hmm. There's just not a lot of young people that are getting engaged. And I've tried to you know, reach out to the schools in the area too, but there have been a couple. We had a, a young man from Mayville that's in the district mm-hmm. uh, that interned in my office. And then we recently had one from Beaver Dam. But I'd, I would love to find more. I wish we could. I mean, especially when you go to some of your county party meetings and stuff and see the average yeah, age there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it would be great to, to get some more. Well, for our listeners who have never been to Beaver Dam, uh, I think that was one of the safest cities in America. Mm-hmm. So I know your family, you said, has been there for a long time. How many generations and what would you recommend people seeing in Beaver Dam and kind of visiting knowing it's a safe place to go? Yeah, well, we've been, well, depending on how you define it, I'd say the Beaver Dam area. Um, I'm raising the fifth generation of my family there okay. with my daughter. Um, now, technically, my grandparents, uh, uh, correction, great-grandparents on both sides, they farmed. And one was about uh, 10 miles out of town in Burnett. Okay. And the other one was probably a little less than that south in the what's called the Pumpkin Center area. But, but Beaver Dam vicinity, was their yeah. big city. That's sure. where they went to shop, you know. That's mm-hmm. where they, and then my grandparents moved the family into the city, and we've been, and we've been there since. Uh, my folks live there, and uh, now you know, my wife and I are raising our daughter there. So really in the Beaver Dam area for a long time. And um, so, what's the thing that you would tell me? Okay, Robin, you've got to come to Beaver Dam, and when you come to Beaver Dam, you got to eat at this place and go to this place. Well, and this is always one of those loaded things because it depends on people's <laughs> yeah, interests. That's true, and all the and restaurants also, are great. <laughs> I don't want to. It's just right. There's a lot of great supporters yeah, yeah. in that town. I don't want to. <laughs> but there's a couple of things I would say, uh, depending on what you're into. Um, there's some good history, especially downtown. We had a. Uh, what was uh, Wall Dogs Mural Festival a few years ago, where a national group comes in and paints historic murals. Oh. Um, and it was a really neat little thing. And so there's a lot of these historic murals through downtown. It's a walking tour. You can get a map from the local chamber downtown and, and see a lot of neat history that way. Um, and there's a historical society museum downtown. But we've also got some you know great new stuff going on. Uh, we've got our first... Uh, Uga Brewing Company, our first brew pub okay. uh, this year opened in downtown Beaver Dam. They have good product? Uh, good product. I was just there last night, well, actually, uh, for a little while after our Elks meeting. Yeah. So, uh, you know, that's been uh, one of the fun new things for, for folks to check out when they come to town. And um, I know certainly a lot of our colleagues know that if you're passing by on 151, 
Uh, you might want to stop at Walker's Restaurant yeah, because they've yeah. got really good pie. That is true. I understand. I've been there yeah. myself. Yes. <laughs> I figured you probably have. Yeah. So we're get, heading toward the holidays. Of course, we just finished Thanksgiving and we're getting ready for the Christmas season. Tell us what one of your favorite Christmas traditions in your family is and how do you celebrate um, with your kids and your, your extended family? Yeah, I think um, I think the traditions is really just all the family stuff. You know, we've always, as a family, decorated um, the house um, most years outside if the weather allows, but definitely every yeah. <laughs> year inside. And then the family meal. Mm-hmm. And that started, of course, at Grandma's house for me as a child, and then uh, Grandma's gone now, and so we're on to the next generations mm-hmm. of that. But so, are you Christmas Eve people or Christmas Day? We do actually. We with Grandma, it was Christmas Day. Okay. But what we've done now is my family, uh, my wife and I have taken over, and we've been doing a meal Christmas night, hmm. where my grandma and my parents and brother and such uh, niece, everybody comes over to our house Christmas night. So we do the small family with the daughter and Santa and all that at home uh, during the day, and then we have the whole family come over in the afternoon and spend the rest of the day together and have a big meal. And um, I think those are always the best parts of the holidays. You know, that really is what Christmas is all about, isn't it? When you're a kid, it's about Santa and presents, and as you get older, it's about spending time with the people you love and continuing yep. the traditions that make Christmas the special time of year that it really is. So I'd like to wish you and your family a Merry Christmas, as well as everyone who's listening. This is this week's edition of The Right Angle. I'm Assembly Speaker Robin Voss. Merry Christmas. And that's The Right Angle. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe. Just search for The Right Angle on iTunes and Google Play, Radio Public, Breaker, Overcast, and Pocket Casts. Have an idea for a guest or a topic? Tweet us at Wisconsin Assembly GOP. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time.